Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Caged In podcast, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, as ever, Petros Pat Syllabus. I thought, seeing as it is Cageuary, the first month of the year where we get to celebrate Nicolas Cage for a whole goddamn month, I would resurrect a personal uh, achievement of mine, which was the Caged In podcast which I released throughout July last year, 2021, uh, around the release of the Nicolas Cage vehicle, Pig. Um, Fantastic, fantastic film, uh, directed by today's guest, Michael Zarnowski. It's uh, it's a a big one. I thought I'd I'd resurrect it since it was celebrating all things Cage. And uh, yeah, I got Michael on board to... To come have a chat with me about how this film came to be, um, kind of his story of, of of making it, the the research that went into it, where this idea came from, and kind of what things have, what it's been like since, what it's been like living with this film since July, and kind of having it kind of in the bank for all that time as well. This uh, this film was sat on for a year by Neon, and they kind of really wanted to put it out in cinemas, as you'll hear Michael say as well as hearing some amazing news, kind of, (laughs) I think I got it from Michael's mouth as the world got it in their ears that he will be directing the A Quiet Place free slash like spin-off. And yeah, so uh, check around, yeah, hang around to hear that at the, near the end of the conversation. But this was a fantastic conversation with um michael zarnowski and i very much hope you enjoy it before we go into it as well uh i think relatively this chat is spoiler free i would always recommend though if you haven't seen the film we're talking about go check it out pig is readily available to to buy on all places you buy films you can buy it on physical media as well as a blu-ray which you can see Nicolas Cage in the kitchen with previous guest Chris Zarnecki learning how to cook so that's always fun um yeah so so watch pig but I think we avoid spoilers much of a muchness and uh just kind of talk about what it's like working with Nick Cage Alex Wolf, and making this kind of beautiful poignant film again <laughs> enjoy this episode with Michael Zarnowski Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Pig's writer, director, Michael Zarnowski. How are you today, Michael? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. As I as I said to you off mic, and I kind of say to all my guests, it feels appropriate to be in the setting I am right now, a kind of, kind of woodland shack uh, 
talking about all things pig. Yeah, we should have just shot there. That like a perfect, <laughs> a perfect setting. Um, I, I we wouldn't have had to build build the shack. I don't know if suburban Crawley is is the shooting location that you would uh, green you... screen outside the door. The entire all of Pig is just green screened. I mean, it's not, <laughs> we didn't shoot in Portland. We shot on it in a studio and just put Portland in the background. Yeah, um, <laughs> man, well, I loved that shack though. I uh, the production designer Tyler Robinson. They they built that was like the one set that we could afford to build basically we pretty much put i think all of the production design budget into into building his shack and they really just built like a a functional shack in the middle of the woods it didn't have breakaway walls or anything it was just this shack in the woods with a garden and a, a little latrine spot there and um i was so sad that they had to tear it down at the end for insurance purposes i was like can't you just like leave it it was in a state park but they were like now nah, if someone went there and just cut themselves or something we would get sued for a bunch of money so i was, I was <laughs> sad to see that that shack go because they did a really good job with it well let, let's kind of talk about the locations because it seems like the location of portland and like the kind of surrounding areas and i know it's kind of hack and cliche to say about a lot of films but like it feels like a character in itself so yeah how important for you was it that kind of portland was at the center of this film pretty important i mean that that came pretty early on in the screenwriting process. I, I had never actually been to Portland until after I wrote the first draft, but I just did a, a ton of research on it. And then once I had a basic draft down, I started taking pretty regular trips up there um, with Vanessa Block, the producer. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the character of Portland is kind of ingrained in every part of it. And then a lot of it came from being there and spending time with the local chefs and spending time just kind of wandering around and meeting people and getting really welcomed into that scene there. Um, just finding all the ways we could to just bring some of real Portland into it. Um, so there was some baked into the script and, and, and a lot of research that went into that. And then just at every turn, you know, we were just kind of trying to, to bring the soul of Portland out. Um, and it really helped because like the film scene, the restaurant scene, they all really kind of welcomed us there pretty much the entire crew the entire crew except for the dp and the assistant director were all portland based most of the actors were portland based um so it was you know it was it, it sort of the movie naturally had a lot of portland in it mm -hmm. um, we didn't even really have to try that hard it just kind of just kind of worked out yeah i know that david nell said that uh, darius pierce is kind of like this portland legend of the kind of like acting yep. scene there he's kind of like always putting on like theater productions and stuff like that and uh, I think he, he yeah. assumed when he went for the role of Finway, he's like, oh, that's going to Darius. Like, he's the kind of big shot around <laughs> town. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Darius ended up being Edgar. And yeah, and then David was just an incredible Finway. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, yeah, besides um, Alex Wolf, Nick Cage, and uh, Adam Arkin, everyone was, yeah, pretty much everyone was a local Portland person. And, and there's a really vibrant, I mean, they shoot some movies there. Um, they shoot a lot of like TV shows up there. So uh, there is, a really vibrant acting scene up there. Um, so it was cool to get to draw from that. I mean, that's really the only place we did any sort of casting call. We, we, you know, we auditioned a bunch of local people and found just a great gang and yeah, everyone really nailed it, which is kind of insane considering, you know, you sit a local Portland actor down across from Nick Cage and ask them to have the confidence to perform like that. That takes a lot of grit for them to pull that off. I mean, like what David pulled off in a, you know, a, eight minute scene with Nick Cage just sitting across from him at the table, just from a sheer like nervousness standpoint to be able to act in the face of Nick Cage. Like he can be quite intimidating, even though in real life he's, he's very welcoming and encouraging of the process, but like, you know, that, that's a lot to, to, to pull off. Well, well, let's talk about that scene. Cause it's kind of like this. It's really interesting. I spoke to Brett Buckman about this the editor and it seems mm -hmm. to be obviously like he's done three Nick Cage pictures now with, uh, yeah. Mandy, Color Out Space, and this, which I've dubbed the the Man of the Woods trilogy, which kind of yeah. like, <laughs> even if, even if, I think, yeah, it's a surprise to Brett as well. But you should cut all three of those together into some <laughs> sort of fusion film that uses pieces of all of them. Yeah, perfect. It, it, you, you got H.P. Lovecraft in there, so it could all make sense in its own weird way. Yeah. So, um, but what, what I found interesting is like with Mandy and Pig, they both have this kind of, key central scene it kind of like i'm not sure i'm sure there's probably people out there who have done the analytics to go that scene isn't central like the 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 <laughs> scene with finway yeah. but it is it kind of feels 
at the center of the film and but what yeah what was that what was that day like and kind of how important was it to nail that scene specifically yeah that i mean it's you know when you're on set we shot this in 20 days so it was a pretty quick shoot we didn't have any time for reshoots or anything so it it kind of felt important to nail every scene as we were going along but that one in some ways i wouldn't say that one was easier but it was it was a really nice scene to film because i think in the script it was like a nine page scene and we really we filmed the whole scene that day and we really just kind of got to see it play out like we ran it pretty much beginning to end like a little stage play um so it was it was really gratifying to shoot because you actually felt like you were watching the movie i mean you're always you know you're trying to capture something real but you could actually sit back for nine minutes and just watch this scene play out and have a pretty good sense of it um and it was just it was you know it was one of those scenes where even just watching it on the day it was like i'm i'm watching the movie i like it it's working (laughs) <laughs> cool. And so it was very reassuring to have that in the middle of the shoot as like, because otherwise, you know, you're piecing a lot of stuff together. You're kind of like, yeah, I think this will work. Like this is, you know, this angle's cool, whatever. But to just like sit back and watch the movie play out before your eyes was really gratifying. Um, and then in the in the writing process and in the editing process, that scene always, um, you know, it is a pretty central scene. It's, it's it, I know I talked with Brett a lot about um, kind of the fractal nature of films. He was really into that. And, and I think that scene is a good example of that, of like a single scene kind of containing the whole in a lot of ways. And, and it kind of, it has the, it has the humor, it has the absurdity, it has the somberness and the seriousness. It has the sincerity. Like it, it sort of has a little bit of, of every aspect of the film packed into that. And it kind of takes you on this journey through it. Um, so yeah, it was always a really important scene and it was one of the, um, I remember on the, on the assembly cut that Brett put together, it was, uh, it was one of the, I mean, he did a great job overall, but it was one of those scenes where when I watched the assembly cut, I was like, yeah, that that's working. Like we didn't really have to do a lot of work on that one in the edit. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really cool to see. Well, like you, you kind of, yeah, mentioned that it's all like, it's all kind of, I don't know, every scene had to count, but like as a first time director like what were your expectations going into a film especially like having someone like Nick on board and obviously Alex had kind of come off a bit of a hot streak he's kind of after hereditary was like a do you know what I mean it's like oh a, a name to watch was there I don't know was there like this sense of pressure to you that like uh or yeah what were your expectations making your your first film it's been crazy yeah right? I mean there were there were definitely moments of uh of pressure I I think you just get so wrapped up in the the doing that you don't really have time to feel that much pressure. I mean, uh-huh. you know, you are kind of constantly on edge and constantly having to make these decisions. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think I thought I would have a harder time with that than I did. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of quiet, sometimes fearful person. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be pretty anxious on set, but <laughs> um, you know, there are always moments where it feels like things are falling apart, but, but in those moments, you're having to solve a problem. Like those are the moments when you have to be most focused. So you kind of just, you don't really have that much time to feel pressured about it. Um, and then early on when it was kind of before shooting it, when it was more feeling like the pressure of the the general idea of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be working with Nick and Alex. And this is kind of a big deal and scary. Um, that quickly fell away once I met Nick and Alex. I mean, they were both just so collaborative and excited about the project and just seemed like such nice guys that uh i don't know it 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 wasn't as much of a problem as i thought it would be and it ended up just becoming like hey we're doing this thing all together and we're going to give it our best shot and day to day we're just going to go to set and 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 try to make something cool and yeah i don't know it it that that focus allowed me to not feel too much anxiety about it so like obviously with nick and alex one of the things that this this film kind of uh, teeters upon is that those those two characters and those actors kind of have this chemistry chemistry like how how kind was there a sense of relief when because obviously it's kind of you see them now in like uh interviews and kind of press for the film and they like they're like best friends was it just like when they kind of clicked was that like a real weight off your shoulders kind of making this yeah that was huge because you know you write the script and you know, there's, yeah, there's this element of kind of like a, a buddy movie with the two of mm-hmm. them. So you, you need that. I mean, it's like writing, you know, a romantic movie. Like you, you, you plan around, okay, there's got to be some kind of chemistry there. Um, and, and thankfully their chemistry was just kind of better than I ever could have hoped. I mean, they just had 
such an interesting kind of beautiful friendship that that developed that had you know a camaraderie a little bit of competition a little mentorship a kind of big brother little brother a little bit of coworkers like it just had a lot going on and they just grew to really care about each other and support each other and and that's the other big thing is you know again it's a young alex was 21 when we shot this movie and he's you know acting across from one of his acting idols i mean he he grew up just wanting to be nick cage and and that's a lot of pressure but nick was so welcoming and and you know he's so open to experimentation and open to the craft like he's he's really an artist and he's a professional so he made an environment that made alex feel comfortable to explore and alex made an environment that made nick feel comfortable to explore so it it really ended up being just a, a beautiful synergy with the two of them perfect well um yeah it feels like we've kind of like dived two feet into this like let's kind of back up a bit and where did this where did this story come from yeah so initially um the story started with just i had a little notebook or like a notepad file on my computer where i write down random little not even story ideas just snippets of things that i find interesting and i think Years ago, I just wrote down old man in the woods with his truffle pig. Uh, and so it just, I was just kind of like, there's, it was, there's that shot where you're kind of tracking through the, the trees and you see him walking with the pig from the distance. And that was kind of like the image that I had. And, and I didn't know what the story was, but there was something about that image that I was like, that draws me. Like, I want to explore that. So then it became this kind of thing of unpacking that when I finally decided to kind of dive into writing the script. And, and it, it became this real thing of kind of asking questions about that image um trying to figure out you know what is this person's backstory why are they here uh and then yeah and and so a lot of the story stuff developed naturally from that the location his profession in the past um what happened to him why he's in the woods uh and then it became i was sort of at a, a place in my life where i was um i my dad had passed away when i was a kid and, and in my late 20s when i wrote this i was kind of at a place where i could take a step back from that loss and sort of see how it had shaped me and my my family um and so that sort of exploration of grief ended up kind of getting baked into the story as well um so yeah i mean you know that's the the tidy explanation i mean really it was mostly just me pulling my hair out and trying to figure out how the hell to tell a story and all that stuff but uh but no that's looking back that's kind of the progression that happened perfect and um how did the collaborative process in writing this with vanessa work was it kind of did you how, how do you yeah did you just throw ideas back and forth or how did that kind of collaboration work? Yeah. So we had, um, so Vanessa, the, the producer on pig, she was, we had a co-story by, and then I was the solo writer. So it was, I would kind of, I would write drafts of it and then send it to her and, you know, she would give me notes and we would talk about it and brainstorm some stuff. Um, then I would go off and, and, and do another draft. I, um, yeah, I'm a pretty, like, uh, when I get into my writing mode, I, I kind of like to shut out the world. I'm yes. sure my, my friends <laughs> can tell you that it's a little weird and annoying. I definitely go into like hermit mode. So once I, once I'm kind of doing a draft, I, I sort of isolate and, and just go into it. And then I would kind of, you know, come up for air and be like, here's something. What did I, did I do better? Um, <laughs> and, and then we would go from there. Was there ever, ever, uh, like a version of this where he wasn't a chef or was that kind of hard baked in from the start as well? That was pretty hard baked in it. It always, even from the very earliest stuff, it always kind of was this chef film noir like that. That kind of always was was the thing because um, the chef thing just came. I mean, just both of those things came very early on from asking questions about that image because the question was just, why is this guy out in the woods hunting for truffles? Yes. And the answer is because he's, you know, he had a history in the culinary industry. So that that just seemed kind of obvious. Um, and then, you know, and then the kind of film noir cowboy come to town stuff came very naturally from, okay, if his pig is taken and he has to track her down and he has to go into the city that kind of naturally follows some of those classic beats. And, um, and so, yeah, it really became, okay, let's tell a chef cowboy come to town story, um, where in, you know, instead of shooting and stuff like that, he's, he's cooking food for people. Yeah. That's something that's like beautiful about the film. And one of the things I like, I, I love about it is obviously when you give people that elevator pitch of what the film is and you kind of say that Nick Cage is attached to it. I know a lot of people I told were like, I don't know what this movie's going to be. Do you know what I mean? They kind of yeah. have this expectation of what Nick does. And were you like aware of that when obviously like you were talking to Nick or, or were you kind of put it, put it to one side? Like I know the movie I'm making here. 
yeah, I mean, kind of both of both of those things. I was I was aware of it, um, and you know, there was a part of me that was like, are, are people going to be able to look past this? But then once uh, once I sat down with him and talked about the character and the script, I was like, okay, he gets it. He knows the character he needs to play. Who cares about all that other stuff? Like we know we know the movie we're making. We know who Rob is. Um, people can bring whatever baggage or or assumptions they want to it. Um, but as long as, you know, we just approached it as, you know, we're making this character study and we're yeah. trying to make something that's emotionally authentic and explores this character and explores this world, you know, whatever people want to bring to it. I, you know, I think I was pleasantly surprised that that ended up kind of being a, a feature, not a bug. Like people were mm-hmm. excited by that and pleasantly surprised by that. Um, but, you know, it could have gone the other way. Could have, I mean, then there definitely were some people who were like, he doesn't beat anyone up in this movie. What's <laughs> going on here? Um, but you know, in general, people seemed pleasantly surprised. So, so that was cool that it went that way. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure it was going to, but I kind of had separated myself from it and was just excited by what he was doing and and, and seeing him bring this character to life. Well, as somebody who's kind of entrenched in the kind of Nick Cage filmography, I kind of like I, I enjoy the film as it is, but then I, I also love this kind of meta textual level you can look at it of the character he's playing of somebody yeah. who's like been uh i don't know exiled from from mainstream society as it were and then kind of this film for a lot of people and it's it's a bugbear of mine they say like it's nick cage doing something great again it's like i oh, know he, he like he's been solidly doing some great stuff yeah throughout that time but like yeah i kind of i don't know yeah i think i think i think the readings of it and i the amount of people like uh, the trailer dropped you saw the kind of it's john wick with a pig and stuff like that was was that stuff as well that you were kind of like again we know what we we know what we've got here like this stuff will kind of like die die in the weeds as the film comes out i mean you know i think the john wick with a pig perception still lingers and it it doesn't bother me that much because i kind of knew that was going to be like because also the movie kind of knows that that's what it's playing with. Because because mm-hmm. the first half hour of the movie, it's kind of about, I mean, the whole movie is about kind of slowly deconstructing that, peeling that away, and then getting down to something more core, character driven, emotional. So it's it's baked into the movie to carry you from expecting kind of violence and action and all that stuff to something else. Um, so yeah, so I wasn't overly worried about it. You know, I was anxious to see like, okay, does the movie do its job as far as carrying you through that? We'll have to wait and see. Um, so, it, you know, it, did, it didn't totally surprise me that people uh, saw it that way. But it, it, I did like that even when people went in, I mean, you know, I read a lot of reviews that were like, you know, I went in expecting John Wick with a pig and I'm so happy it wasn't that. And um, so, you know, in, in some ways, I think it worked out uh, to the movie's benefit. So, it, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm nervous about everything in the process. I'm always <laughs> like, oh, no, have we made a terrible miscalculation? But um, but overall, I, I kind of, you know, that worked out well, and I wasn't too too worried about it because I, I felt like the film carried you through that. Well, how has the kind of reception to the film been for you? Because obviously, like as we're talking, uh, not so long ago, Barack Obama put it on his kind of end of yeah, year that list, was very cool. kind of, and it's kind of it's getting a almost like a, I don't know, there's you would think there's kind of like awards chatter about the film, whether it is Nick. I know that like one of the things I noticed when he did the Hollywood report around table is like all these other guys, their films are kind of quite fresh. Like pig came out in yeah. July. Do you know what I mean? And it's uh yeah, it's an interesting, it's been interesting. thing to see. Yeah. It's been interesting to see. Cause you know, a lot of the awards movies come out in December. I mean, pretty much, pretty much all of the movies that are being talked about for the big awards are, ones that dropped in the last month um so it's been it's been really sweet to see that somehow pig is kind of stuck around because yeah we came out in theaters in july which is not a oscar bait sort of time <laughs> of the year um so it's cool that it hit some sort of nerve and like people are still kind of talking about it and you know it's a small movie we didn't do like a ton of marketing for it so i, I think we didn't really expect that this was even an option but somehow nick's sort of remained in that conversation it's mostly been that that best actor conversation and um you know it's there's there are a lot of movies this year and a lot of really big movies but um but you know he's really been climbing and people really adore his his uh his performance so it would be it would be awesome if he got a nomination i think he absolutely <laughs> deserves it um 
but uh but yeah that's that's also just been a really pleasant surprise um and then i try not to get greedy like i wasn't expecting any of this and then and then once you start expecting it, you're like ah well but why you know why couldn't we have gotten that one and then what about that thing and like um so but no it's 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 very cool it's cool to see that like somehow the movie has stayed kind of relevant and interested people um and yeah no it's it's been really wonderful well it felt like the perfect uh film for the time it came out as well so like obviously we're kind of in the height of like the coronavirus and stuff like that and there's this film that's just so beautifully and poetically kind of plays upon our memories of whether it's like family or like a nice cooked meal or like a lot of people that means family and yeah like the kind of the the reception like looking on twitter and stuff like that is it's amazing how many people reacted to it was that was that like yeah how did that feel for you or do you kind of not tend to look at what people are saying no i i look probably more than i should i i mean initially i remember alex wolf was the one who told me he was like just don't read any reviews uh and then i think after a few days of getting mostly positive reviews he was like you can read the reviews now like it's uh so i i you know i started um i started reading them more uh and you know but then inevitably once you start getting more positive reviews then i just read the negative reviews because those are the ones <laughs> that really stink in but no i i tend to, to skim to skim most of them um and no i mean it was it was really cool to see people respond to it i mean it was it was it was it sort of hit at this weirdly specific time that, that worked well for it it was um i mean neon the distributor had thankfully they they were willing to sit on the film uh for about a year before mm-hmm. releasing it so we shot it at the end of 2019, finished it in like June 2020, and then Neon was just kind of waiting for a window because um, they wanted to do a theatrical release. And that kind of came about in July, like right before Delta hit. Um, and they, I mean, they really jumped on that, like within a few weeks, it was like, this is going to be our window. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. They did it. Um, and we, you know, we had a couple weeks where Delta wasn't too bad yet and people actually got to go to theaters and see it. And that was cool. Um, and then it's been this kind of consistent process of then people discovered on VOD and then it came out on Hulu in November. And, um, it's been cool to see kind of like the waves of people rediscovering it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very cool. It it struck at a perfect time with the pandemic and dealt with a lot of the stuff that people were going through. Um, clearly totally unintentionally. I I did not know that there was going to be a global pandemic. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been pretty surreal um i think because of the pandemic though it's also weird because still my life is just kind of like me in my apartment on zoom meetings so (laughs) like like physically speaking my life hasn't in theory it's changed a lot and it's very exciting but i'm also kind of it's a little um disorienting because i'm just kind of like oh i'm i've made a movie that people really like but like the world doesn't really exist outside of my apartment anymore i'm just kind of isolated myself so uh it's been a weird time to kind of grapple with what my life is now yeah i can imagine like this kind of i don't know uh almost like movie like imagining of what you would think like having a hit movie or like do you know I mean yeah like, a well-received movie would be like i don't know like you get out the back of a limousine and pe- 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 people know you and then it's kind of like yeah you know, <laughs> there's gonna be like cocaine or something yeah. there's no cocaine We're <laughs> cocaine. Um, no yeah it was it was yeah. I mean, we had a great. Thankfully, we managed to. I, if my mom is listening, I don't do cooking. My mom is listening. <laughs> uh, and um, I mean, we 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 thankfully got to have like a proper premiere where that was when you know it was at this brief moment when like people didn't have to wear masks anymore mm-hmm. and and things were looking up. Um, little did we know that that was not going to stick around for too long. But but you know, we got to have like a yeah like a premiere in theaters and people came. We had a red carpet and and that was cool. And and then that was pretty much it. That was like the only major in-person event that we got to really do um but but it was really fun still well yeah going back to obviously like how it was um like portland was such a big part of it i remember um david now telling me that like he was just about like when we chatted was just about to go to a like cast and crew screening like of the kind of portland natives yeah. did you manage to attend that what was the kind of atmosphere yeah, that like was, that was that was probably my favorite screening that so the um, so we had the LA premiere, um, which that one was wonderful because those Nick and Alex were there. My my mom and sister flew in, and Amazing. and that was really fun. And and I got to have my local friends come out. And um, but then the Portland one was really great because that was the day after I think uh, Vanessa and I 
flew up to Portland the morning after the premiere, which was, that was, that was fun. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, yeah, we got to, there was this like little kind of artsy theater in Portland and all the local casting crew came out and it was, that was, it just sort of felt like a family reunion. Like it was, you know, all the people that we made this movie with getting back together and then getting to share this thing with them where they, you know, they liked it. Like that was exciting to Mm -hmm. feel like people felt like they worked on something that they really cared about. I mean, they work on plenty of things that they care about, but you know, it was, it was just like a nice thing to be like, Hey guys, remember we made this and Hey, it turned out pretty well. Uh, it, it was just like a very warm experience. Um, and also it was just like a reunion because we hadn't seen these people yeah. since shooting because of the pandemic mostly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably would have gone up there again uh, in between that time if it hadn't been for the pandemic. So yeah, that was a really wonderful screening. I imagine it's nice to go back to Portland and see that there were like um, uh, bakeries kind of selling salt bagels kind of like inspired yeah. by all well like- that's the bakery that's the bakery we shot it <laughs> amazing that was that's because that that's helen bernhard bakery that's that is the oldest bakery in portland um and and that's where we shot that that final bakery scene uh and they they already they sold a shortbread cookie that was the cookie that he shares with amir um was an actual that's one of their specialties and it's really good uh and then they started selling the salted baguette as well uh, yeah. which I, I saw the little sign for that and i thought that was wonderful uh, they were really sweet i i, I loved them there yeah imagine the research for this was a lot of fun right kind of getting used to the yeah it was all just an excuse to eat a bunch of food around (laughs) i mean those were the early trips like when when vanessa and i would go up there to scout locations half the time it was just us going around to different restaurants trying meals and then if if we liked the vibe we would like ask to speak to the chef and then say (laughs) i mean some of this was even before nick was involved so it was just these two random people being like hey we we'd love to shoot a movie at some point here uh we'll keep you posted um but you know the local community really welcomed us and and these restaurant owners were like super generous um because yeah we didn't have a huge budget so a lot of the places we got to shoot were pretty much just from the grace of these these places letting us like shoot there i mean we could have spent thousands and thousands of dollars that we didn't have to try and get some of these locations but most of them were just like excited to help out this kind of small film and it was very cool amazing so how did nick get involved on the project so he, after Mandy, he had just moved over to WME agency. And, uh, and so they were looking for some new projects for him. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, we had um, Endeavor Content, who's kind of, they're, they're not part of, they're, they're, they're sort of, a, a, that and WME are like a, an entity kind of, uh, Endeavor Content handles more of the production stuff and foreign sales and all that. And they had become interested in pig um, and they became real champions of the project. And it was sitting down with them and meeting with Endeavor content and WME that, um, that they suggested Nick, they just kind of threw him out there and we hadn't even considered him. Um, and it was kind of just one of those, like, do you, do you think he would want to do this? Is this the kind of movie he would, he would want to do? And they were kind of like, let's see what he thinks. Um, so they sent him the script and he very quickly was like, this is absolutely the kind of movie I want to do. Um, and it, yeah, it was surprisingly easy, I guess is the, is the answer. I, they, WME was looking for new stuff for him. He was excited to try something different. Uh, and I think it just hit at a perfect time. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was pretty surreal. What was that first meeting like with Nick? Cause I know that he said that, uh, in that, uh, Hollywood round table, uh, Hollywood reporter round table that like yeah. he ended up explaining to you like a a dream he had had or something like that is yeah that about his cat merlin um <laughs> yeah that yeah that first meeting was um we got like brunch together downtown and uh and yeah i mean it was both amazing and also pretty straightforward like mm-hmm. uh i i gave him a comic book and we sat down and and we chatted about the script and it, it was it was kind of quickly like clear that we were both on the same page with the script so then we just kind of started shooting the shit and talking about pets and love of food and italian heritage and all that kind of stuff and just kind of enjoying the food it it was i don't know it it was quickly apparent that yeah we we know what we're doing we're on the same page this sounds good uh and yeah i mean it was it was surprisingly low stress yeah other directors i've spoke to who work nick always say that like he kind of when he comes to a project kind of he 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 just has the script learnt backwards, forwards, kind of. Oh my God! Knows everything. I mean, he knew it better than I did. Like he, I mean, not just his dialogue lines. He knows the action lines, like word for word. Like I, 
it's it's pretty incredible. I, I I don't know how he. I mean, I guess he's been doing it for a long time, so he's very practiced in it. But I was very impressed with that. I mean, he's you know you think of Nick as this rock star, and he is. And, but he's you know he's an artist, and he's extremely professional. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to get to the point he's at in his career and do the number of movies he's done, like he knows how to operate on set. He knows how to be respectful to people. He cares about what everyone's doing. He knows that all of these jobs on set are super important. Um, I mean, he was just, just a pro on set. I mean, he was so kind to everyone always early, always down to, 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 to sort of go the extra mile on things. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think people assume that he's probably like bonkers on set and hard to work with, but it was the total opposite. Well, you know, as I said, everyone I've had the good fortune to speak to said like comes with not only just knowing the script, he kind of has like these these notes and kind of like what kind of he knows the character himself and it. Yeah. And and what's really heartening about it as well, it's speaking to people who their budget for their movie is three five million dollars and he's still giving that same level of respect yeah. on on that than he would then i imagine he would do you know what i mean doing a doing a jerry Bruckheimer movie for for disney yeah. or whatever so yes yeah, it's, it's 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 really heartening to hear that and i know that is it true that he he took everyone to see parasite whilst you were filming the movie not there was like a, a small group of us that, that all went to yeah. see parasite um, and that was, yeah, that was like I think the weekend before we started shooting, uh, or maybe it was into a week into it. I can't remember, but yeah, there's a little theater, uh, in Portland and, and we went there and watched it. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool to be in a theater. There's like <laughs> six of us just sitting in a row together. And yeah, that was really fun. A nice level of kismet as well. Right. That neon eventually. Yeah, released, I know that, that was, film. that was, it came full <laughs> circle. Um, and it's a great film, so it's always good to watch an inspiring movie going into something, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, working with Nick was wonderful work. I mean, everyone was, mm-hmm. you know, this was a small movie. It's a weird movie. If it, it, it kind of filtered out for good people that cared about it because no one's going to sign up for this movie if they don't love it because they know there's not a ton of money in it and they know it's pretty specific and strange. So the people that wanted to do it really cared about it and saw something that moved them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like just in general, we had a nice tight-knit family on set. It was It was very... Very gratifying. Yeah, as, uh, as somebody who's like a massive champion of the film, I remember, like, as it was coming out, because I was I was fortunate enough to get a screener from Neon, but like, even when it was coming out in cinemas, I was like, kind of like trying to find the nearest place to go see it. Went and saw it, yeah. and uh, I don't I don't know why I took it upon myself to kind of like uh, just tweet out everywhere, kind of in the UK, <laughs> you could go you could go check it out because there's a lot of people going. My local place isn't isn't showing this. I'm like, whereabouts do you live? Like, did it? Oh, like, thank you. You were our UK marketing. Team. <laughs> no, we yeah. actually did have a UK marketing team, but thank you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Altitude. I, I owe me. I'll, I'll send an invoice to to Altitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there, there's a, just a couple of uh, more 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 things I wanted to, to yeah, touch sure. upon before I let you go, Michael. Uh, one one of them is I know you, I'm not sure how true this is, but like. Um, it's kind of written out there that the original length of this film was was a bit longer. Was that was it your intention to have a longer film or kind of this tight ninety no, four minutes? I think that's kind of a misconception. I know where that comes from. It's just I think what people are saying when they when they say that is um, the assembly cut was like probably like two hours and twenty minutes, mm-hmm. but that's that's like there was no kind of functional cut of the film that was that long uh-huh. that was just the assembly cut is kind of where you just dump everything in yeah. and it's you know it's tons of stuff that you know you're going to cut out but you kind of just want to have it all in there to see how it plays and then you sort of trim it down from there so um and even that wasn't crazy i mean there are assembly cuts that are like four hours long yeah, so yeah. um you know two hours and 20 minutes isn't isn't that crazy for an assembly cut um so we really you know we cut like probably 45 50 minutes out of that but uh, but it was all stuff that that needed to go um i mean honestly you know, there are a couple little scenes that I wouldn't mind that, you know, we trimmed down for pacing, but I, I wouldn't have minded bringing back, but mm-hmm. I don't think they would amount to more than like two minutes or something. Yeah. 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 That, that, that classic director's cut with six, six minutes extra and every yeah. scene's got a couple yeah. of, couple of seconds added back on. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, 
you obviously um, touched upon Nick and Alex getting on really well, but when it comes to like working with actors, do you tend to give them other films or kind of materials to, to look at to kind of, this is the tone or the vibe we're going for with this film. And what was that on pig? Um, a, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think my, my biggest form of directing is, is the writing. Like I think, I think it was, the script was pretty specific about uh, the tone and, and the vibe of certain things. So, mm-hmm. so I think that was most of the battle. Um, there were a couple little things. Like I remember, um, I remember, I mean, it was, you know, I, I sent Nick some books. Um, I mean, there was that, I still don't know if he's read that comic book, but that, that, uh, <laughs> I gave him this graphic novel, Asterios Polyp, that I think had some elements to it. Um, and then I, I, I gave him a copy of, uh, Devil in the Kitchen, Marco Pierre White's book. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's, there's a lot of Marco Pierre White in this movie. Uh, he was this chef that, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was this, he, I mean, he still is a chef, but he was this, uh, three Michelin starred chef that, gave up all of his Michelin stars because he was just kind of done with the industry and went and like lived with his family in like a home out in the country. Um, so there, he was very inspiring for this. Um, so I gave him some of that. I mean, like movie references. Um, I, I had a couple things that, that I, I didn't really, I, I think I talked with Alex Wolf a little bit about a couple movie references, just not even really for his performance, more just, he was kind of curious, I think. Um, and there was a movie, uh, called Revanche that I think is, Austrian movie I think it's an Austrian movie uh that was kind of inspiring for Pig um so I remember he watched that and really loved it uh but it it was just such a specific tone that really the best way to get it across was through the script so that there wasn't a lot you know you could kind of be like "Eh, there's like a little Cohen-y it's a little Jarmish-y sometimes it's a like like there wasn't anything cleanly enough like this is what it is so um, mostly it was just kind of the script and then having just conversations with them I think that's what's quite beautiful about the film is, is I know it's very easy to sell films and I guess it's laziness on the part of uh, movie fans a lot of the time. It's X meets X and you get yeah. this movie and a lot of what's, I don't know, you could be lazy and do that with Pig, but it doesn't yeah. do the film, I don't think, justice to be like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's John Wick meets Ratatouille. Like, uh, yeah. which, uh, uh, Both great movies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, of, course, of, course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, I no, absolutely, and and I think a lot of that credit goes to you know the producers and financiers who were who were willing to, you know, I to to do this movie off of, I, you know, I hadn't done a movie before, and I also I never really had to pitch it. Like usually, it was a short script; it was only eighty four pages. So I would send it out, people would read it, and they would either love it or not, or just be like, "What <laughs> is this? Leave me alone." Um, so it, I, I rarely, I rarely had to sit down and say like, so it's this, there's this pig and he's like, <laughs> I, I didn't really have to, to do that for some reason. Somehow I, I managed to avoid that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very cool that they just kind of had faith in it, um, off the script and, and that we executed hopefully. Well, well mentioning the pig, how, how was it directing a pig on your first film? They say never work with children and animals i did both (laughs) and and children and a lot of driving um and uh yeah it was i mean i i would say you you don't really direct a a pig you just (laughs) kind of hope for the best um because we uh we couldn't afford a a trained acting pig so um so vanessa and i just drove around to different pig farms outside of portland uh and just found the pig that had the best look and personality and her name was brandy Uh, she was a cooney cooney pig and uh and yeah she was a very sweet pig and very beautiful she had very soulful eyes um but uh we had an animal trainer work with her for like a a week but that was not enough time to like really (laughs) do that much with her um because i think a big part of it is just getting animals prepared to perform on set when there's a lot of noises and lights and movement happening uh and that was just overwhelming for her so mostly it was just about being quiet and kind of calm when she was around and just trying our best to like get her to look at a certain spot and we'd just be like clapping <laughs> off camera and, and, and that sort of stuff or, or sneaking food in spots. Um, and then the other useful thing was just having Nick feed her a lot. So she yes. just kind of knew, okay, if I go to him, he'll feed me. So a lot of it's just, you know, holding her off camera. And then when he comes in, you just release her and she's like, Oh boy, I'm going to go to the guy who gives me food. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just, it's just kind of figuring it out as, you know, you have to, suddenly 
trying to get into a pig's psyche as you're as you're trying to make a movie. There's so many weird little jobs with directing <laughs> to to figure out. It was definitely a stroke of genius whoever came up with the idea to give Brandy a character poster for the film. I remember like Oh when, yeah. When that came out, yeah. I was like, This is Good for them. This is this is a real pun intended chef's yeah. kiss of a of a kind yeah. of marketing move. Um so uh yeah, as we as we start to wrap things up, um I'm not sure if you you did this intentionally, but did did you know that you kind of have added to the tradition of Nicolas Cage stealing bikes in movies? No, I didn't. I didn't even know that was a tradition. <laughs> this is new. This is I haven't even heard this. So Wait on me. there's the Rock. He steals a motorbike off of somebody. There's the okay. Wick, the Wicker Man, where he like commandeers a bike off of one of the islanders. And now there's Pig. Obviously, he kind of gives a guttural scream at somebody was to Wicker take man a, a bicycle or a motorbike a bicycle yeah yeah so it's kind of any a two a bike? Yeah, yeah i yeah. did not know that so... uh, that's, that's amazing I, I i'm honored to be to be a part of that tradition um yeah the bike was actually a, a budget choice because initially there was a scene where he rides the light rail there uh mm-hmm. and the ticket taker was supposed to ask for a ticket and he was there was this like mini altercation but we just couldn't afford to shoot on the light rail. So I was like, I'll just stealing a bike kind of accomplishes the same thing. Yeah. Um, so we did that. I like that it's kind of, I don't know, out there in the ether, like that that happens by mistake and it kind of creates this tradition because there was uh, the Sion Sono film that Cage did that came out last year. It, again, it, it feels like something that feels like it's referencing that, but probably isn't. He's, his character is given the choice of a sports car like to to go accomplish his mission and he takes a child's like bike instead and so it feels like there's this kind of running theme throughout nicholas cage's career where he's uh he's always commandeering bikes to to, you gotta write a book on because you you see all the (laughs) patterns that everyone else doesn't see because they haven't they haven't seen all these movies to make these connections you you see the you see the matrix man it's like the it's like a beautiful mind up in here Um, so, the other side of this shack is just filled with like red thread and photographs and pictures of bikes and your conspiracy Nick Cage wall. Yeah, I, I am definitely uh, Charlie Day in that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Cigarette on the go, I kind of. Yeah, <laughs> there's bikes. There's there's Cage. The <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, um, before I let you go, what what's next for you, Michael? Imagine like is is, is you said you're just. In your apartment, the Hollywood lifestyle isn't as you expected it, but but yeah, what have you got on your plate next? Yeah, um, I mean, I've got a few things I'm working on that I'm really excited about. Actually, just today, literally while we're on this podcast, I just got a bunch of texts. I guess it came out that um, I'm I'm going to be writing and directing the Quiet Place spinoff, like oh. John Krasinski's Quiet Place movies. Uh, they're they're doing another movie in that universe. Uh, and that just sort of came out of nowhere at the end of the year. Um, and John was just so wonderful and we've been kind of throwing ideas around. And, uh, so that's cool. I guess I'm allowed to talk about that now. I mean, I think that's probably all I'm allowed to say, but, uh, amazing. I hope, I hope I was allowed, to say what I just <laughs> said, but, uh, but that's, that's one thing. That's one thing that's happening, but I've, I have a few other things that I'm working on. Um, so yeah, just trying not to get cripplingly overwhelmed and, and, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to be a fearful person, like I said. So, um, you know, my initial instinct, whenever I get some sort of offer is like, no, I shouldn't do that. I can't do that. I, that's a bad idea. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid, uh, like I won't be able to do a good job. So I'm, I'm trying to not listen to the little insecure voice in my head and, and just enjoy making cool stuff. Well, yeah, I imagine there's a thing that you see a lot of directors kind of, uh, direct something really interesting and personal for their first film. And then they kind of get swallowed up into the hollywood system somewhat in kind of i don't know in yeah Yeah, in kind of i'm trying to avoid that i mean that's what i liked about this fireplace thing was that they seem super open to doing something kind of unexpected and different with it so um so that was that was really refreshing to be like oh you're saying i could do something in that Mm -hmm. realm but okay i i that's on i shouldn't even be saying i don't know what i should be saying about this but uh yeah i I, 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 i was excited that it didn't feel like a studio system swallowing me up I know what you mean. I know. I know that you um, spoke on the movies that made us podcast and about Logan and how obviously James Mangold kind of got to got to make a James Mangold movie or yeah. kind of uh, yeah, a movie that isn't kind of a part of this 
structural thing and didn't have to slot into too much of this stuff and yeah it's, it's it's nice to know that 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 that's hopefully where it's going with this quiet place movie yeah ah oh, that's a that's amazing news man that's uh thanks man <laughs> well michael it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you thank you so much uh before i let you go as i ask all my guests i must ask you which is your favorite Nicolas Cage film? I know you've got a horse in the race, but pigs discount. Besides pig, I won't. Yeah. I won't include pig. Only one, or could I say like a few? You can have some honorable um, mentions. Yeah, we can. We can. We can. Okay, we can well, let's go with one. I mean, there are so many I love, but uh, one that has a, is a special one for me is uh, I really liked Moonstruck. I, I hadn't <laughs> seen that, and I watched it right before we shot Pig because I was kind of trying to catch up on ones I hadn't seen, and uh, I don't know. I, I I'm half Italian, and I. <laughs> my family moved out to Wisconsin when I was a kid, so I never really got to see that like East Coast Italian family and and be a part of that world. Like there were a couple times where we would go out and visit and have these big Italian dinners, and I was like, "Wow, I've really missed out on something." Um, and I I remember watching Moonstruck, and it was just kind of like a fairy tale of what my life might have been if I had been <laughs> around more of my Italian family. So that that was very special, and he was just amazing in it. So um, that one has it holds a special place in my heart. But there's tons of really good ones. Yeah, I always find uh, 1987's a really interesting year for Nicolas Cage's career because it's Moonstruck, Raising Arizona, and I know he shot Vampire's Kiss like that time, wow. but didn't get released till like a year or two later. But like, that's crazy! What a year! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives you every kind of stroke of what Cage can do, right? It's kind of that is yeah. the the nexus point of the rest of his career. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Man, you got to write this Nick Cage book. You got to write. <laughs> I don't know. There's right. the, the, there's a lot of Nick Cage books out there. I just got I just got to find my angle. <laughs> that's yeah. a, well, that's that, that, that's an absolute. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a lovely sentiment. What is your What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Um, it kind of fluctuates. I'm I'm like I have a lot of recency bias. So I recently watched Red Rock West again, which is a John Dahl uh, neo noir from 1993 starring. Cage, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, and Dennis Hopper, and JT Walsh, and it's if you haven't seen it, it's kind of I haven't seen it. Ah, uh, I gotta watch. It. Yeah, it feels like a movie that w- wouldn't be made today, and like I don't know, everyone's firing on all cylinders. It's just it's perfect. It works as it works as an old school noir, but it's kind of got this uh, uh, Wyoming setting, but feels like a, a western vibe to it, and it's. It's, fant- it's fantastic. Right up my alley. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It feels like it would make, I think, a, a good double bill with Pig. Kind of this. Uh, no, uh, Red Rock West is more about a man who gets in over his head in kind of a situation. It is. It's that perfect thing of, I guess, the way to liken it is the way that Breaking Bad did that thing where every episode you're like, how the hell are these characters going to get out of this situation? Yeah. It's like red rock west is that for 90 minutes just like cage's character kind of uh, things get progressively worse and worse yeah. and then and then i was thinking about that with breaking bad it's like the whole show is basically just you being like well that's it for these characters yeah like, yeah they're just screwed like yeah yeah yeah. there's no way out of this yeah it's cl- uh, how they're gonna get out of this one you almost like want to yeah. kind of freeze frame and the yeah but red rock west <laughs> is that and then half hour 45 minutes into the movie the the late great Dennis Hopper gets thrown into the mix and things get wild. So yeah. So okay, uh, I gotta watch this. This is, <laughs> this is my next. Movie. Perfect. Um, well, Michael, well, thank, thank you for the recommendation. No, thank you for thank you for coming and chatting about this film. This is uh this has been a of course a, a bucket list chat to 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 tick off the list. So thank you so much. Thank for you coming. for having me. It was it was such a pleasure. And there we have it, guys. The a lovely Michael Zarnowski. And what a what an absolute I don't know, mind blowing turn of events for me. Uh you could probably hear it in my voice in that chat that kind of as he mentions about the quiet place thing, and it's kind of like uh, there was a moment where I was like, is this a scoop? Have I got like a a have, have I have I have I been told this early? And um I don't know. Yeah, I I love that conversation. I very much hope you enjoyed listening to it again michael if you're listening thank you so much for that it was um it's an absolute peach 
of an episode. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, if you enjoyed this one, please do go back and listen to some of the conversations that are mentioned in this or just all of the conversations in the Pigcast series. So uh, that is Brett Buckman. Uh, you can go back and find that. We talk not just about Pig, but about Colour Out of Space and Mandy as well. Uh, there's Vanessa Block, the co-story writer of this film and producer who has some amazing stuff. We kind of touch upon the kind of the female spirit that runs through this film and kind of, uh, yeah, there may not be many females on screen but they they were very 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 um well they found it important to make sure that there were women behind the scenes a lot of uh, uh studio no not studio uh department heads were were female and there was a lot of female crew and so we talk about yeah we talk about the the kind of i don't know the female heart beating at the center of this story uh there is chris arnecki the chef who taught nicholas cage how to uh look like a chef that's a really fascinating interesting conversation there is philip klein and alexis grapsas talking about the music for pig which again is a fantastic fascinating if not awkward conversation but that is entirely my fault uh there's the fantastic david now interview as well uh as we touch upon in this episode he had that one killer scene with Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolfe uh, playing Chef Finway. And if you've seen the film, you know how deliciously vital and great that scene is. So that was a fantastic chat. And then my kind of deep dive into the film itself, where I was uh, joined by Andrew Pope to talk all about uh, Pig, all things Pig, in a regular caged-in episode. So do be sure to check all of that out as for next week on the podcast i will be joined by writer comedian musician jordan gray to talk about the 2005 nicholas cage arms dealer thriller drama lord of war i'm really looking forward to talking about this film again because one uh, I think it's a great film, and it's uh, it makes me think oh, I'd love to see Ethan Hawke and Nicolas Cage star in something together. This is very much a film of cat and mouse, so they get a lot of uh, screen time together. But yeah, those two head-to-head -head would be fantastic, or kind of side-by-side, -side, should I say, as kind of, uh, yeah, uh, co-leads in something would be amazing and get to kind of maybe kick the stick the boot to jared leto a bit in one of his probably early films where he's doing an atrocious accent <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode or any episode of the podcast please do be sure to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast acast spotify wherever you are listening and give us a brand banking five stars that uh yeah little little rating and review that would be fantastic i know every podcast says it but it really does help to get this podcast in more people's ears shoot us up the charts and kind of as i always say this could be somebody's favorite podcast that they're kind of uh cage curious they're coppola curious or they're just a bit of a film head or kind of i don't know yeah if, if you enjoy this podcast i'm sure someone else will as well so do be sure you spread the word if you'd like to have a bit more of a serious commitment to the podcast and part with some cash you can head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod to buy me a little digital cup of coffee which helps keeps the lights on over here at caged in towers or you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where this week this thursday we have the first ever episode being released of the brand new exclusive Patreon series Movie Brat Bros, which is kicking off with its first season, De Palma Rama, where we are looking at the films of Brian De Palma and how they relate to the filmography of Francis Ford Coppola. So, for instance, 1996, Mission Impossible came out. Also in 1996, for Francis Ford Coppola, jack came out who had the better year or well, listen to the podcast to find out but we'll be kicking off 
this Thursday, looking at the 1974 Brian De Palma musical comedy drama, uh, absolute kind of I don't know, gonzo work of art that is Phantom of the Paradise, where I will be joined by Jeanette and Daryl Bear. And it is an absolute hoot. So be sure to head on over to Patreon and chuck a little £2.50 or $3 in the bucket to get access to that episode and many more to come. So as always, guys, I have been Petrus Patsilvis. I have been caged in. You have been amazing and I'll catch you next week. Here's a little treat for you guys who listen right to the end. Uh, before me and uh, Michael really got into the conversation, kind of a little pre-record, we had a little chat and I kind of hit record on my recorder just because I found the conversation we were having to be really interesting. I'm sure Michael won't mind me sharing this. We kind of talk about Nick Cage and he's kind of flabbergasted at the fact that I've seen <laughs> every single Nick Cage movie. So yeah, here's a little bonus treat for you guys who listened right to the end enjoy the morning before we shot so the mushrooms that nick is cooking in the movie are actually just mushrooms they like found in the woods amazing uh and then after he had nick had diced everything up and it had just been sort of prop stuff uh they he took it and just like cooked up this incredible mushroom risotto just with the leftovers and just fed it to the crew at like in the middle of the night when it was cold out in the woods and yeah he was he was wonderful yeah i i, I think chris said like one of the takes that or like yeah when he saw nick cutting at one point it was kind of doing it a bit like too wild and he's like oh he hasn't listened to to what i told him and then saw the film and he's like oh no he knew he he, he knew exactly what what he was doing he kind of uh oh i was i was very nervous all the time about <laughs> nick because we he also was using the scariest thing was the he's using a mandolin like the the thing to slice the potatoes mm -hmm. the um and those it's like very easy to cut the tip of your finger yes. off so i was constantly worried that we were just gonna like <laughs> have to take a week off because Nick was going to just slice his finger off. But yeah, he, he managed to not hurt himself, which was great. And um, yeah, he really, I mean, I think with, and we don't have to get into all this now, but I was, I think Nick just, you know, it's, it's impossible in a week to suddenly become a professional chef, like to look like that. But I think what Nick did was he learned the basics and then he just put so much like care into what he was doing on screen with the food that you just kind of felt like he loved the food and mm -hmm. got it. So it didn't really matter if like, you know, he's, he couldn't chop as fast as a normal chef or like he, he just, you just felt like this guy loved what he was doing and you could just feel it through his hand. Well, I think that's one of the joys of Nicolas Cage on screen, right? Is that like, I often having watched all of his films and kind of talk to people. In, Have you seen all of every single Nick Cage film ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, yeah. I mean, I guess you would have to with the Caged In podcast, but that's, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. How many are there total? What's he at? Like a hundred? um close to like 97 i think with like stuff that's kind of on his slate and it's it was kind of that interesting thing to see like the pandemic slow him down slightly but then as soon as the kind of shooting started again it's like he's got three or four films like due out i don't know if it slowed him down that much i think he <laughs> shot like five movies last year he is yeah, yeah, yeah. he is he is in, has endless energy Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.